0: Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website, nbbctx.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Today marks week five in our sermon uh, series entitled Passion Week. Uh, Week one, uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna. And week two, Jesus turned some tables over in the temple uh, because of the sinful practices that were taking place in God's house of worship. Week three, we talked about some very prominent characters uh, that were uh, at at the Lord's Supper that night as the uh, disciples celebrated Passover uh, with Jesus. Judas was a guy who was in very near proximity to Jesus, but not in a saving relationship with Jesus. Uh, Peter was another guy who uh, expressed to us that self sufficiency is entirely insufficient. And then last week, we pressed pause on our series so that we could have a vision uh, weekend celebration. We introduced some new staff. Uh, to you as a, a family of faith, and uh, just were renewed in, in, in what we believe God is calling us to do a, as a church, uh, and it was an exciting weekend uh, for me. But today, uh, today we're going to dive back in uh, to our story to see where Jesus is as he heads toward Calvary's cross. And I, I just want to ask up front, how many of you can, can vividly remember some of the most epic uh, failures or most embarrassing moments of your life. How many of you have that vivid memory of those moments in your life? Okay, the rest of you just aren't being honest. We, we all remember those uh, moments, and some of them are big and they're serious. Others uh, of them are not so big, they're just mostly uh, em- embarrassing. But one thing that is interesting about our failures, about our big moments of, uh, of embarrassment, is that. We are always paying attention to the reaction of other people around us. And, and, and whether we admit it or not, other people's reactions to our failures affects us. It just does. I I shared this story with you before a few years ago in Spring Hill. Before we had constructed the new worship center, uh, I was praying as a part of one of our worship services. And uh, our band began to play uh, behind me, and the worship was continuing uh, to to build. And so as I was praying, I was walking off the stage. By the way, praying with my eyes open. And as I got to the last step, I missed it. I missed the last step, and it, it felt like it took a half an hour, but I fell uh, just right off the, the, the steps and kind of wobbled and skidded on both of my knees to a stop right in front of Pastor Todd and John Roach, who were sitting at the front row. I just gently peeled that top layer of skin off my knees as I skidded to a stop. Okay, It was super embarrassing, and I, I, as soon as I, I fell, I, I looked up, and, and there were two reactions. The first was Pastor Todd, who could not have been more annoyed with me. He looked at me, again, skin knees, I've just humiliated myself falling off the stage, and he goes, get up. <laughs> um, sorry, dude, not everybody floats off the stage like you do. Sorry, I skidded to a stop, all right? And then I looked at John Roach, okay? So Todd has humiliated me, and now I'm super embarrassed, and I look over at John Roach, and he's like, <whistles> he... He just denied knowing me. Like he was so embarrassed for me, he wouldn't even make eye contact. I was like, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm the guy with bloody knees. I'm right here, John. You know, he's just looking around. Listen, we pay close attention to the reaction of other people around us when we, when we fail, when we fall down. And today's sermon is really all about failure. And it's all about us asking and discovering a biblical response to the question, what does God think of me given my failures? Look at me. Everybody wants to know, what does God think of me knowing that I fall? And I believe the Bible gives us great clarity as to what his response to that is. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go with me to Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark Uh, Chapter 14, we'll start reading in verse uh, 66. I'll just quickly remind you where we are in the narrative. So Jesus finished uh, the upper room discourse with his disciples. They sang a hymn. They walked out across the valley of Kidron and into the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus leaves a few of his disciples here. He says, pray. He goes further, and he begins to have this intense dialogue with God about what he knows uh, is coming for him in the hours uh, ahead. Uh, eventually, uh, Judas, uh, who left that upper room uh, dinner with Jesus, goes and finds the high priest and takes some of uh, 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 the the Jewish soldiers with him, the the soldiers of the high priest and the high court, and and he takes Roman soldiers with him. They follow Judas into Gethsemane's uh, garden where they confront Jesus and illegally arrest him uh, for for alleging a crime he actually had not. Uh, uh, to, to to commit. And so uh, Peter impetuously, uh, impetuously uh, grabs that sword and takes a swipe uh, at that soldier's neck. He misses and cuts him uh, in the ear. Jesus puts the ear back on that guy's uh, head and says, uh, whoever lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. And, and this is what they have come to do. So Jesus is then carted off uh, by these soldiers and he's taken to the high priest, uh, a man named Caiaphas, uh, to his house where he is going to be wrongly imprisoned and unnecessarily uh, questioned uh, for, for a crime that, again, Jesus had not uh, to, to commit. And, and so now he's in this uh, courtyard and he's being uh, uh, questioned uh, by the high priest and, and by the other ruling religious uh, at that time. And there's a crowd that is gathered around and they're hitting Jesus and they're mocking Jesus and they're making fun of uh, Jesus. And some of the disciples have begun to meander into the courtyard and they're paying close attention to what is going on uh, to their rabbi, to their master, uh, to Jesus, uh, whom they were just having dinner with a few moments uh, uh, before, and this is where our story uh, picks up. Mark chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 66. If you're there, say, I'm there. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it The rooster crowed a second time. Here's what's, here's what's fascinating. Um, in the upper room, uh, Jesus made two very profound statements uh, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He, he said, first, uh, one of you is going to betray me. And everybody's like, well, Who? Like, who, he's, Jesus is like, whoever dips the bread in the cup with me. That's who, and, and so Judas is there, and immediately Judas dips the bread into the cup. And, and then you got to imagine, things are now super tense, and Judas gets up and, and takes off. And Jesus says, listen, but, but you're going to deny me, and you're all going to fall away. And uh, Peter's like, not me. And Jesus is like, listen, before breakfast, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, Jesus, if i got to die, I'm not going to deny you. And everybody's like, yeah, what he said. Listen, it is exactly as Jesus said it would be. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I want you to circle that phrase, broke down. Most scholars are in agreement that Uh, Mark's gospel is actually uh, Peter's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark was likely a scribe uh, that was writing uh, Peter's oral remembrance of the life and and ministry of Jesus. It's also believed by most scholars that Mark's gospel uh, was the first gospel that was written after the ascension uh, of Jesus. Which is why it doesn't have quite as many uh, details because of the urgency with which it was recorded as say something like Mark or or Luke. But given that this is uh, Peter's account of what took place, and again, this excruciating detail of this particular moment that Peter recalls, I think the author's point here is very clear. Peter knew in this moment exactly what he had done and the severity of his sin against God. I think he was crystal clear in this moment of the, of the weight of his sin. In Luke's gospel, when it records this intense moment between uh, uh, Peter and, and Jesus, this little servant girl in the courtyard says, uh, you, wait, you're, you're one of his disciples. Peter's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And 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 then she says, "Hey, hey! Listen, everybody. He's one of uh, uh, Jesus' disciples." And they're like, "Yeah, you know what? You do talk like one of his uh, dis- disciples." And, and Peter denies Jesus for for the third time that night. And and the Bible says in Luke's gospel that Jesus looked intently at him. The, the word there in the Greek language can also be translated as he gazed at him. In other words, there was this visual exchange that took place between Peter and Jesus right here in this moment when Peter denied knowing who Jesus was and committed his greatest personal failure of his life. And listen, I believe that in this moment, the weight of his sin Fully landed on Peter, which is why in Mark's gospel, Peter's account of the life and ministry of Jesus records that Peter broke down and wept. Has the weight of your sin ever landed on you like that? Have you ever had those few moments where you come to a clear understanding of what you have done, the severity of your sin? Listen, this doesn't happen Often for me, unfortunately, more times than not, I minimize my sin or I quickly move past it. And therefore, the true weight of my sin, the consequence of my actions doesn't land on me like probably it, it should. But there have been times in my life uh, where I come to a, a clear understanding regarding the severity of my sin. I'll, I'll give you one example. I remember when I was in the eighth grade, my older brother Jason was a senior in high school. There were some upperclassmen in the high school at our, at our small school where we uh, attended in Waco that had taken an interest in me. They, they were nice guys, and they were athletic, and they were popular, and for whatever reason, they, they took a liking to me, and they paid me attention, and were, and were really nice and cool uh, uh, to, to, to me, and so I was enamored by that. As you would imagine, as an eighth grade guy who's got some juniors and seniors that are paying him some attention, I was fascinated by that, and so I was a, a appreciative of that, and I I, I kind of longed uh, for, for, for for that, and I remember one time in particular, uh, uh, this group of guys was making fun of my older brother Jason, and I don't know what he had done uh, that, that, that was causing them to want to make fun of him, but I know that because I was so desperate for them to like me and to be popular with them that I jumped right in and began to make fun of my brother alongside of them and I didn't really think too much about it until I got home and my older brother Jason who was 18 years old at the time is sitting on the edge of his bed and he is weeping out loud and I'm in my room and I could hear him from there and my mom and dad went in the bedroom and they had a conversation with him and then they came out and they looked at me <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like that gaze. And the weight of what I had done landed on me. I just was overwhelmed. I had devastated my brother. Like it's one thing to be made fun of uh, and publicly humiliated uh, by people. It's another thing for that to take place by your family. And I did that to him. Humiliated him. Made fun of him. And wounded him so deep. And listen, it broke me. Like when Peter says, I broke down and wept. I mean, I, I just, I was broken by that. It was just a moment of clarity. Listen, I've had a few of those moments with my kids where I know that I've said something or done something, and I can watch their countenance change. Like their body language will change in front of me. and I'll see, Like the weight of what I have just said, the weight of what I have just done, it lands on me. I've seen this in Mary a time or two as well, where my words wound her so deeply that I can watch the countenance of her face change in an instant. And I'm broken by that. This is what's going on with Peter. He has this moment of crystal clarity because he, he is keenly aware of his sin, what he has done, and, and the severity of the wound that he has caused. And listen... Don't think Peter isn't paying attention to the reaction of other people around him in response to his failure. Don't think Peter isn't looking up and looking around to see what other people are doing because he has fallen. He has fallen publicly in front of so many. And so I want to know, what is is it that Peter does? How is it that Peter... Responds because I believe that that what God wants us to see is not only in the passion of Jesus, the rejection of Peter, but I I believe God wants us to see the redemption, the redemption of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, uh, go with me now to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to leave Mark, and we're going to go to John's gospel, uh, to the 21st uh, chapter. We'll start reading together in verse uh, number one. John... Uh, chapter 21. I'll give you just a moment uh, to get there. John chapter 21. We'll start reading uh, together in verse uh, number one. God's Word says this, after this. Now when it says after this, let me tell you what this is. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. So now the courtyard moment of Peter's denial has has passed. Jesus has subsequently uh, passed through uh, the the high priest and the Jewish council. He's been declared guilty. Of course, because they're subservient to Roman rule, they hand him off to Pontius Pilate. He can find no wrong, but as customary at the Passover feast, he's willing to give a Jewish prisoner uh, to the people as a means of appeasing them uh, in honor of their religious holiday that they're celebrating. And so they call out not for Jesus who Pilate can find no guilt in but rather for Barabbas and for Jesus they demand that he be crucified. Pilate washes his hands and he says, you guys can do what you want. Jesus is then crucified on a Friday. But on Sunday, when the women go to the tomb to anoint his body with spices, it is empty. The stone has rolled away because Jesus Christ is uh, alive. And he has subsequently appeared uh, to several of his disciples in Jerusalem and the rest have scattered and gone back to Galilee. And Jesus now shows up in this moment and the Bible says, after all of this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, Okay, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat but that night they caught nothing have you ever thought about that there's sometimes when we when we fail and we're not exactly sure how we're supposed to respond we will run back to that which is most comfortable and most familiar like when we mess up, when we have these epic moments, and let's say, let's say we have a moment of clarity thereafter where we're keenly aware of the severity of our sin and the weight of what it is that we have done. Have you ever noticed that in those moments when we're not sure how we're going to respond, we just sometimes naturally go back to what is uh, a most familiar or perhaps most comfortable uh, for us? Sometimes it's a very neutral thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just that it's, it's comfortable, so we return to it regardless of whether or not we're supposed to be doing it. Like, imagine for me if I had an epic failure and uh, I, I, just, I just told Mary, um, I'm, I'm going to go landscape. I'm going to go land, like. If you don't know my background, before God called me into the ministry, was in landscape architecture. It's what I did for ten years before God said, "No, I, I've called you uh, to to this work in my church." And so, imagine if I just said, "I have messed up. I've messed up big time," and and I just looked at Mary and said, "I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go landscape. I'm I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and, and landscape." Listen the deal is Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, he didn't say that because he was hungry and trying to catch something to eat. No, Peter is declaring here, I'm broken. I have failed. I have blown it. And I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going fishing. And now some of you wonder why why is this such a big deal well it's a big deal because while commercial fishing certainly isn't bad while landscaping is not inherently evil it's not what peter was called to do he just went there because in his failure he did not know how to respond and he went back to what was familiar and most comfortable for him if you can remember the miracle of peter's calling jesus said uh From now on, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Yeah, Peter was called to fish, but not commercially, but supernaturally. Some Some of you are here today, and in an absence of knowing what to do and how to respond to your failure, you've run back to something that is comfortable and familiar. And whatever that thing is, you're there simply because... It just feels like it's what you know how to do. But it's not necessarily what God has called you to do. Just think about the last sentence of verse number three. Look at it. They went out and got into the boat, but that night, what? They caught nothing. Have you thought about how fascinating that is? Listen, in the first century, in the ancient Near East, You didn't choose a profession. Your profession chose you. So, you know why Peter's a fisherman? Because his dad was a fisherman. You know why Peter's dad was a fisherman? Because his dad was a fisherman. So Peter was good at fishing. It was all he had ever known. But have you ever thought about the nuance of our story? That that night when Peter doesn't know how to respond to his failure, and he looks around, he just says, "I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna go back. To, to fishing. And yet he goes out in the boat, fishes all night, and the Bible says, and caught nothing. Is it fascinating to you like it is to me that he is now unsuccessful at the very profession he knows best? Well, here's why. Because I believe although it was most familiar and certainly most comfortable, it was not what Peter was called to do. For some of you here today, you need to see that it is nothing less than God's love for you that is allowing you to experience great frustration in your life. Because in your failure, you've run to comfort instead of calling. You've run to uh, uh, familiar instead of what is faithful, and God's trying to get your attention. You're so frustrated. Listen, it's because you're doing what God has not called you to do. You're running to the comfort instead of the calling, to the familiar instead of what is faithful, and he's trying to get your attention. Keep reading. Look at what it says in verse 4. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said... Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, you've got to imagine how frustrating this conversation might have been, right? Like, Peter's blown it. He's had this epic failure in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house. So now he's gone back to Galilee, and he's going to pick up the family business. But in the first night on the job, he strikes out. Fishes all night, and the guy who knows the business best has zero success. But then there's a stranger on the shoreline who looks out, and he says, children. A better rendering of that, according to the Greek, would be if Jesus were to say, little boys. Like he's standing on the shoreline, he says, little boys, have you caught anything? You think Jesus is asking because he doesn't know, right? So he says, children, have you caught anything? you got to imagine what the conversation is in the boat. Y'all know who that is? Uh-uh. He got an accent. I don't recognize him. I can't make him out from here. No, we haven't caught anything. Well, why don't you try putting your nets down on the right side of the boat? All right, so what is that like? Seriously? Like, we've been out here all night. I know we've been out here all night, but guess what we caught? Nothing. Shut up. You shut up. Man, <laughs> how, what was that kind? And then, so he's like, okay. Uh, Sure, yeah, we'll put it on the other side of the boat. Because I'm sure the fish swam from this side to that side. (laughs) And they put the nets out, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, listen. When Simon Peter, uh, so they cast it, I'm sorry. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is The Lord. Now, I want you to lean in because here's where our story is going to turn for us. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Now, listen, the question is what just happened? What just, what just changed here? Because remember, we already know that this is not the first time Jesus has appeared to the disciples. Right? Like, Jesus has already shown up in Jerusalem. Peter was in the same room with him just a few days before. But all of a sudden, in his discouragement and in his disgust, Peter goes back to what is most familiar and where he finds his greatest comfort. And Jesus shows up. And in this moment... Everything changes, and Peter dives off the boat. What is it about this moment that has Peter so excited to get to Jesus that he's not even willing to wait for the boat to row itself back to land? He has to get to Jesus right now. Well, listen, if this miracle sounds familiar, it's because Jesus recreated the very same moment. According to Luke chapter 5, by which he called Peter to be his disciple. Listen, according to Luke chapter 5, you can go back and read this this afternoon. Um, when Jesus shows up, he's walking on the shore of Galilee. I'm wondering if it was like the same place. He's walking along the shore of Galilee, and he sees this guy, these guys that are fishing, and he calls out to them, how's it going? Meh. Hey, try putting your nets on the other side, on the other side of the boat. And, and, and they do and the nets are so full of fish that they have to call in a second boat to assist them just so they can simply haul them up and Jesus says now listen leave your nets from now on I'm gonna make you fishers of men and and then three years later three years later Jesus walking along that same shore. and and Peter having failed him miserably in the greatest letdown of his life, Jesus recreated the miracle for Peter to let him know that I've never left. I've never left. He says, Peter, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know the mistakes. I know the failed promises. I know the shame. We made eye contact in that courtyard, but I love you And in a moment, the gospel erupted in Peter's heart and he realizes that Jesus' love for him is not built on his performance. And look up here at me, his love for you is not built on yours. It is built on his finished work. Jesus loves Peter at his worst, which is why Peter jumps out of the boat and he can't wait to get to Jesus. I want to share three truths that I believe we learned from Peter's story of redemption that need to resonate in our heart. Today, the first is this. The gospel enables us to run to Jesus instead of running from Jesus. The gospel invites us to run to Jesus instead of from Jesus. You read what happened. Peter has this incredible moment of clarity. And he doesn't even bother to wait for the boat to row back to land. He jumps out of the boat and into the water. Because upon the recognition that the resurrected Jesus has paid for Peter's sin and provided the grace for his reconciliation, he can't help himself but to get to Jesus as fast as he can. Listen, I wonder if Peter has been foggy. From Remember the last time Peter had clarity was when he and Jesus made eye contact and the weight of his sin and his denying knowing Christ resonated and, and fell on him. Peter wrote and tells us that he broke down and wept. So there's this clarity of his failure then. I wonder if he's been foggy until this moment of clarity right now. When all of a sudden Peter recognizes it's the resurrected Jesus. And he's come for me. And Peter's, listen, Peter's not even willing to wait for the boat to get back to shore. He jumps in to get to Jesus. Have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Y'all remember when Lieutenant Dan shows up and Forrest is all by himself and he's in the bayou and he's just going on that little boat by himself and he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock? And he's like, Lieutenant Dan, remember? And he, psh, he jumps in, right? And then the boat just crashes because nobody's driving it anymore, right? He can't wait to say hi and to see Lieutenant Dan. And so he just jumps. Listen, brothers and sisters, some of you have been running from Jesus for a long time. Whatever it is, your failure, whatever it is that has caused you to fall, you're looking around and wondering, what does God think? I'm here to tell you he's standing on the shore, and you need to jump out of the boat and get to Jesus. You need to leap like Peter leapt, and you need to get to Jesus. You're thinking, well, maybe I'll just wait until the timing is right, or maybe I'll wait until I get a few more things together. Well, Peter didn't wait. There's no waiting for the nets to be pulled in. There's no waiting for the other dudes to start rowing along his side. He can't wait to get to Jesus. Listen, if you are far from God and you're looking around and wondering what does he think of your failure, I am telling you the gospel is the invitation to stop running from and start running toward. You need to jump out of the boat today. You just need to be reminded. And the gospel needs to erupt in your heart like it did in the heart of Peter. And you just need to to get to Jesus. Because like he was for Peter, he is for you. He's standing on the shore. And he's reminding you, I know everything. I know what you've done. I was there. I, we, we made eye contact. You think what you did in the darkness, I don't know about? You think what you did last decade, I, I have forgotten? No, I know everything. And I'm standing on the shore, and I'm telling you, jump out of that boat and get to me as fast as you can. Keep reading with what it says in verse 9. When they got out on land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I just want to stop for just a moment and show you something. Now, you know that the other boat hadn't gotten there, right? So the the net full of all the fish that they caught has not shown up. And yet, what does Jesus already have waiting on them? He's got fish, which is the good reminder Then you and I don't bring anything to Jesus. He's already got everything we need all right he's already cooking breakfast baby he's got every single thing that we need so when you are tempted to think well i better get this together i better pull this with me and i better make sure i've got all my ducks in a row jesus is cooking breakfast and he's got everything we need you and i bring nothing to the table of grace the bible says in verse 10 jesus said to them bring some of the fish that you have just caught he's just now being gracious So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, uh, I just got to tell one of the many reasons that I love God's Word is because the more you study it and uh, pay attention to it, you get to pick up some of the nuance and the power and the life that is found in it. And I just want to show you one subtle detail that changed this narrative uh, for for me. In verse 9, when Jesus built a fire on the shore to cook breakfast, the Bible here describes it as a charcoal fire. Now, that's a detail that we would tend to skip over, except that, did you know, the only other place in the entirety of God's Word where that same phrase is found is in John chapter 18, verse 18, where the writer describes the type of fire by which Peter was warming himself in the courtyard of the high priest just moments before denying Jesus three times in his greatest moment of personal failure. You ever thought about that detail? Now, why do I bring that fascinating uh, detail to light? Well, because I think the second truth we learn from Peter's story of redemption is this. The gospel heals the deepest wounds of our greatest failures. Listen, the, the gospel heals the deepest wounds of our Greatest failures. When was Peter's greatest failure? Standing next to a charcoal fire. And the gospel is the healing of those deep wounds in those great moments. You know how powerful our senses are? Like uh, when we hear a, a, a song, sound, it, it can immediately generate a memory. Anybody? So, like, if I hear Guns N' Roses "Welcome to the Jungle," it's gonna take me back to my junior and senior of high school and the two-line layup drill before the games, where each of us was trying our best to dunk the basketball before the ref came out and blew the whistle. Right? Anybody? Any GNR fans? I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. I mean, yes, I listen to secular music. I'm so sorry, spiritual people. Okay. (laughs) How, How about taste? Anybody? So, like uh, someone uh, this week made me for my birthday a buttermilk pie. And the moment I had that buttermilk pie, it took me back to my granny Coleman, my mama's mom. Yeah, right, you can say buttermilk pie, baby. (laughs) So, the moment that you have that taste, you just remember, all of a sudden you can recall these incredible memories of a a place or a person. In this case, it was my grandmother uh, Coleman. Listen, what do you think the flashback must have been like for Peter? the first time he smelled that charcoal fire. Like, you see it? Like, so he's soaking wet, he's jumped out of the boat, he's dragging himself up on land, he can't wait to get to Jesus and all of a sudden, (sighs) what do you think his memory would have been like in that moment? It would have flooded him with a recollection of his failure because the last time that smell found its way into his nose, he was denying knowing who this Jesus actually was. But listen, do you believe like I do that Jesus does nothing by accident? And that the entirety of God's word is true? So in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 when it says God works all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Then don't you think it is Jesus wanting to show Peter that his grace covers everything? Look at me. His grace covers everything, every moment of your life, every thought you've ever held, every event you've ever been a part of, every action you've ever taken, every sight you've ever seen, every smell you've ever had, every sound you've ever heard, every taste you've ever known, every touch you've ever experienced. God's grace covers it, and that Jesus was sitting next to a charcoal fire is the proof. Some of you flash back to shame and condemnation every time a certain song comes on the radio. Some of you flash back to shame and condemnation every time a movie preview gets shown. Every time you smell the smell of alcohol. Every time you drive past a place where you know your actions in that place were sinful and wrong against God. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to meet you in your mind Every single time that guilt shows up as your very own charcoal fire of grace. Some of you just need to right now, you, you just need to breathe in God's grace. It is a charcoal fire of grace that God has for you. He will redeem every moment. I am telling you as someone who has experienced great failure in my life. I have pleaded with God and begged him to erase memories, to replace images. And he is gracious to do that work in us. His grace covers everything. And the fact that Peter is having breakfast with Jesus next to a charcoal fire is the proof that that is true. Some of you need to just smell the charcoal this morning. And you need to know that God's grace covers every sound and experience and taste and touch and event and place. His grace covers it all. The gospel heals the deepest wounds of our greatest failures. Look at what happens next, verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, watch this. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, how many times uh, did Peter deny knowing Jesus? Three. And how many times does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? Three. Why is that significant? Because the last truth we learn from Peter's story of redemption is this. The gospel declares that our failures are not final. Our failures are not final. Here's how I imagine, in my mind, that conversation with Jesus and Peter being played out if we're going to understand the bigger meaning of Peter's life. You ready? I think Jesus and Peter's conversation maybe goes something like this. Um, Peter, how's your breakfast? It's good, Jesus. Thanks. You dry yet? I'm getting there. Look at me. Peter, do you love me? more than these oh J- jesus y- yes you rabbi you know that i love you look at me then we're then we're moving on okay your failure is not final and we're moving past it peter seriously do do you love me y- yes jesus you you know that i love you okay look at me peter I got plans for you. I know what you've done, but we're moving on. Peter, do you love me? Man, Jesus, like like you know everything. You remember when we made eye contact a few days ago. You know what I've done, you know the thoughts in my mind. You know how embarrassed I am, the shame of my guilt. Jesus, you know everything. You know my few good moments that I've had when I knew and declared you as Messiah. But you know all of the horrible moments that have taken place ever since. You know everything. You know that I love you. Okay, then look at me, Peter. We're moving on. Your failure isn't final. I've got plans for you. We're going to do something great together. Because I am God, I do a redemptive work in the people that are most broken. Because it evidences that the work is mine. And so look at me. If you're here today and you're thinking, my life is broken, then Peter is a testimony. The Apostle Paul is a testimony. The brother of Jesus, his name is James, is a testimony. A guy named Pastor Todd is a testimony. There's a dude named Pastor Connor who's a testimony. A guy in the back named Pastor Matt is a testimony. There's a guy over here named Lynn. He's a testimony. There's a friend over here named Ernie. He's a testimony. There's a girl here named Ashton. She's a testimony. That Jesus Christ does his greatest work in the midst of our brokenness because the work belongs to him and our failure isn't final it doesn't have the final say you know what happened right like peter finishes up this conversation with jesus he is obedient to what jesus tells him to do he goes back to jerusalem they go back to that upper room and they wait for the power that is promised from god to fall and guess what it does The Holy Spirit falls and flaming tongues of fire come down and they land on God's disciples. And then Peter stands up boldly in a place where he is hated, in the center of Jerusalem. And he preaches the gospel and the Bible says that people are cut to the heart. And thousands give their life to Christ in an instant. And then Peter's walking around with James and with John. And they established the church in Jerusalem. And Peter is healing people in the name of Jesus, silver and gold. Have I none? But what I have I give unto you. Now take up your mat and you walk. And he is doing this powerful, miraculous work of God. Why? Listen, because when Jesus gets a hold of your life, your failures don't have the final say. If you remember what Jesus said on Calvary's cross, he said, it is finished. But he did not say he was finished. And so if Jesus is not finished, then you're not done either. And you're thinking, well, pastor, you don't know what I have done. No, but Jesus does. Pastor, you don't know about my first marriage. No, but Jesus does. Pastor, you don't know what happened to me last night. No, but Jesus does. And he is saying that your failures are not final with me. The gospel changes things. So listen, this morning I am pleading with you. Some of you need to get out of the boat and run to Jesus. He's standing on the shore waiting. Others of you you need to inhale this charcoal fire of grace. You need to be reminded that God can redeem any moment. He can redeem any song. He can take away any smell because he is a God of all-encompassing grace. And finally, let it rest on you today that your failures don't have the final say. Jesus Christ has done that. He has the final say. His grace is sufficient for you. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to respond this morning. There will be some of our ministers here at the front of the room, and some of you have run from God because of your failures. And I am calling you today to do business with him in response. You want to grab the hand of one of our ministers and just share with them what's burdening your heart, you're feeling overwhelmed with guilt, shame, condemnation, then come grab the hand of one of our ministers. They would love to pray with you or pray for you. You want to do business at this altar and just pray to God yourself? Great. You want to take a knee right where you sit, grab the hand of a friend? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to do business with God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. The name of the song is called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And in case you're not familiar with this song, I want to read to you just a few of the lyrics that we'll sing. It says, Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Why? Because Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. How? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'll just close with this. When I was a kid, I can remember breaking one of my parents' coffee cups and uh, I tried to fix it myself. So I took super glue and tried to put the pieces back together. I set it up on the shelf after it had dried. Here's what I said, good as new. You know, so, some of us are trying to live our broken lives, putting it back together and convincing ourselves good as new. You know what the gospel declares? That when we give the pieces to Jesus, he puts us back together and he says better than before. So I want some of you today to stop trying to make yourself good as new and start recognizing that Jesus died so that you might be better than before. Let's stop living a coffee cup kind of faith and let the gospel do its resonating work in our life. Father God, in Jesus' name, thanks for this day. Thanks for this word. God, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude about what you have done because of who you are. And I pray that as we enter into this time of worship and response, uh, we would feel your power and your presence stirring in us and us us. So, Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for first loving us. I pray that we be open and honest with the way in which you're calling us to respond. We love you. We trust you. We submit ourselves to you, and in faith, we ask this from you. In Jesus' good name, we pray.